back to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the podcast for all of you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Infill Development in Edmonton Association, which is a nonprofit education and advocacy group that brings together like-minded people working to shape our city. So today, Ryan, we're going to be talking to Stephen Rates, and he's a registered professional planner and has worked within the Edmonton region and is also now currently a law student at the U of A. He has been a part of the Paths for People board since 2018, and he's always equipped with a lot of enthusiasm for sharing that everyone can walk, roll, or cycle around our city safely. Stephen is also an improviser with Rapid Fire Theatre. Yeah, he's a very enthusiastic and interesting guy. I think you'll see that once the episode gets rolling here. Um, There's a couple things we need to define uh, because he is a registered professional planner and so am I and uh, Olivia also works in the industry. We get a little jargony in some some, uh, parts here. So the two things we need to define for you, the first is NIMBYism. So NIMBY uh, is an acronym that stands for not in my backyard. Um, So what a NIMBY is, is a person who objects to the sighting of something that's perceived as unpleasant or hazardous in an area where they live, especially while raising no such objections to similar developments elsewhere. That's directly from the Oxford Dictionary. How I like to define it is um, if you ever hear someone starting a sentence with, I'm a big fan or I am in support of this, but just not here, it's likely that that person is a NIMBY. What's the second thing we need to define? The other one we need to define is scrambles. So scramble is a type of traffic signal movement that temporarily stops all vehicular traffic, thereby allowing pedestrians to cross an intersection in every direction, including diagonally and at the same time. So we've there's a couple of scrambles in the city. The most obvious one is located on Jasper Avenue and 104th Street. So you'll notice that you can't turn right there when you're driving uh, when it's a red light. And that's because... Um, there's a scramble intersection happening there that's allowing pedestrians to cross diagonally. Do I like scrambles? Yeah, I actually like scrambles. I think there are some timings with with how the traffic lights are, and some. And I know that there's probably a like a specialist and engineer that kind of goes into how they're timed. But sometimes, as a pedestrian wanting to cross the cross the cross the road on a really large intersection. It really does help make things faster. I don't have to wait twice. I can just do it once. Yeah, there's a couple around the city now. There's uh, the one in front of Rogers Place on like 103rd Ave and 103rd Street. And that one drives me insane. Like it makes sense uh, during a uh, an event at Rogers Place, but the rest of the time I feel like as a, ve- as a vehicle, you're waiting a long time. But that's how they're designed. It's, it's more designed for the pedestrian in, in my opinion. But uh, have you ever driven or walked through the one on White Ave? Uh, yes, actually, I have. I've driven on that one. That again, also, yes, totally agree with you. From when you're driving in the car and you're waiting, you're waiting to go on that large corridor on 104th. I think, yeah, that takes forever, and especially during rush hour, really does back it up because it's so slow. But I still think we need it because we need to. We do need to make the city more walkable and have designs that are for pedestrians and not just for cars. Perfect. Now let's talk to somebody shaping our city. 
So our guest today, very excited to have on is uh, Stephen Rates. He's a registered professional planner, but he's actually currently a law student at the University of Alberta. He's also part of the Paths for People board. He's been on the board since about 2018, and he's an improviser with the Rapid Fire Theatre. He's a man of many talents. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Likewise. Um, when I first met you, I'm not sure if you remember, but it was at uh, the University of Alberta does a celebration of planning night uh, annually where they you know, get some funds from industry, but they also give students an, in, uh, an opportunity to interact with industry, which I loved. Um, but you were a very young and eager second or third year planning student at the time. But since then, you've moved into a different program in law. So what made you choose to make that switch? Yeah, uh, I I am still eager. I'm a little less young now, but uh, yeah, I di definitely went on a little planning journey uh, because I completed my degree at the U of A, which was just a phenomenal experience. It's so wonderful to have that program there now uh, producing out like local talent. And so I was uh, one of those one of the graduates from the program in 2019, and I was super lucky to get into the province's municipal internship program, which had me working at the city of Beaumont for two years. Uh, and the big focus of that program is you do a you do a bunch of different stuff. And so on my planning journey, I kind of did all the different aspects of planning because there's just so much work that you touch when you're a planner. And what I recognized is, um, although I enjoyed a lot of it, I wasn't like especially like talented or like, you know, there's some planners who are so good at the design stuff, so good at the policy writing stuff. Uh, I found myself gravitating, gravitating towards the, like the legal intersection with planning. And I saw no one else gravitate towards that niche. Uh, and I thought, you know, this is really boring. Like this is not very on its surface fun work, but I just had a very strong interest in it. Uh, just seeing as it's kind of like the, under, it's the foundation of everything that happens uh, when it comes to development and city building. So I found myself attracted to that because I was like, I think I can make this fun and I'm the only one who wants to do this. So then that sort of propelled me into heading to law school. Uh, I applied to a couple law schools and decided I really want to stick around in Alberta. Uh, so I uh, went to the University of Alberta and I'm in my second year right now. So it's just uh, a phenomenal experience. And yeah, I've been able to touch a little bit of municipal law. There's a class that's offered at the U of A, but I've also been able to um, learn about so many other things and have been able to, you know, summer at a firm already and just uh, really excited to continue down this path and feeling affirmed of like, I love that intersection still of planning and the law. Um, and so just hope to be of use for communities around Alberta for many years to come uh, when it comes to those kind of questions. Yeah, it certainly isn't the sexiest intersection of planning, but um, it's an important one. I can definitely uh, agree with you there. You're you're also on the the subdivision and development appeal board. Is that kind of uh, an opportunity? Is that where that intersection kind of uh, plays out a little bit, in your opinion? That's a that's one aspect of the intersection. I think it's the most. Uh, like to employ a term we'll probably use later in the podcast, it's the most pedestrian. Like it's the most ground level. It's the most likely that um, you know a neighbor. A person, a community member who has never been involved with this kind of stuff, they're going to go to one of these hearings. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm very interested in the decision making that occurs in that forum and how, you know, there's a legal test that we use um, to make decisions or several legal tests. But people come to that arena with a lot of feelings and like, you know, 
wanting some kind of access to justice in some ways. Um, and so I think it, it's just really, I, I really love that work because it's, you know, the most ground floor, it's going to be where people interact with the system for the first time, likely, because they're angry about something usually, um, or they're angry about something being built, or they're angry about not getting approval to build something. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I think those are very tough conversations to have, but they're, um, at the forefront of like introducing people to this world of planning and development. Nice. And then I, I can't let you go without asking you about your, uh, your role as an improviser with rapid fire. Um, you don't see a career in acting. You're like set on law now. I am set on law. I see so much of like the work that I do with improv, like play into how I approach law, how I approach answering questions for people, um, how I approach listening as well, because a huge part of improv is actually like, what is what are the other players on stage saying? And like, how can you say yes to that and move things forward? Um, it's also I'm just a big advocate of this general, generally, like having something outside of uh, your professional focus. Um, and just a hobby is like so important just to kind of build yourself as a whole person and have an outlet. Um, so yeah, that's, that's improv for me. I have like tons of friends in it. Uh, it's very fun, very uh, good little activity to be doing over weekends and that kind of thing. And we're opening our theater soon. So it's going to be coming back to old Strathcona. The rapid fire theater will be in the old telephone museum building. An interesting example of a reuse of a space that had not been vitalized for quite a long time. So it's wonderful that we're coming back. It's close to my home. I'm very excited about it. Nice. Yeah, good good opportunity to plug that. That's uh, that's a big deal. I, I kind of agree with you. I feel like there's a little bit of a performance aspect to, to planning and, and law in some ways. And I'll just tell you, I would watch the crap out of a, an episode of Suits or whatever if you were on it. I think you do really well. Are, do you have any plans of going back into planning, like uh, an after degree, a master's degree, or working in planning again, or you kind of see yourself um, kind of at this weird intersection? The path forward is mysterious. I am thinking in kind of five to six year increments right now. And within that five to six years, I definitely see myself becoming a lawyer and beginning to practice. With the practice, I see myself at that intersection, but I'm, I'm not sure what the long-term game plan for me will be, but I definitely think an aspect of it, maybe outside of like the professional work of being a lawyer who focuses on planning matters, is also just continuing to be involved in my community and that kind of thing. I uh, long for and encourage uh, more planners to, you know, get the degree, do the work, and then find an interesting aspect of it, or just recognize that the professional uh, work of planning is not for you, do something else, but do the community work of planning, like be involved with your community league, like show up to the consultations, explain things to your neighbors, uh, listen to your neighbors. Uh, I think that can be a really worthwhile use of the degree and like the education that you can get is just like being involved in your community because we know there's just like such a dearth in like community engagement usually um there's usually a lot of like anger and negative feelings but if you can you know learn all about planning and then uh maybe not practice it but like apply it day to day in your community it can have a lot of positive repercussions for how we go about doing city building yeah steven that's so cool um i actually think it's so cool that you are in uh an improviser with a rapid fire theater because that's uh i always find that people that improvise like you know as very evident you're very articulate you're super witty and you know can respond to things i always i also really loved enjoying going to those um to those shows as well so you are the chair for the paths for people um it's 
The organization was established in 2014. Is that correct? Could you maybe talk a bit about uh, the focus and the mandate of the organization? Yes. So Paths for People was set up as a, a group of people centered around the core of the city who were really passionate about active transportation. And that can include walking, it can include biking, it can include rolling or using a mobility aid. Um, But, you know, it was a group of people who were quite passionate about improving it uh, because they lived in places in the city that uh, walking was feasible for some journeys because they're closer to the core. The things are more dense there. There's more amenities nearby. Uh, But like most of Edmonton, the infrastructure and the experience was not that good. So they really wanted to push for something positive. Uh, And so, you know, a lot of the initial work was really focused on the downtown bike grid or, you know, old Strathcona neighborhood renewal. It was work focused on creating better infrastructure for active transportation. Uh, And now that a lot of the work in those areas is heading in a really positive direction, now we really have like the citywide mindset, the mandate really being safer, more livable streets in a broad sense. So there's so much work that can fall underneath that, you know, if it's like, you know, setting a speed limit by law, or it's, uh, you know, setting out multi-use paths all across the city. It's, um, there's so much fun stuff that can include occur underneath that mandate. And it's also a focus or just like an objective that everybody can get on board with. Like nobody would want like dangerous, more deadly streets. Like that is not, unless it was like NASCAR, but you're not going to have that in your community. Like safer, more livable streets is just something that everybody can sign on to. And it's just finding ways to move together on implementing those goals. Uh, you know, that's where the messier work occurs. Super, super interesting. Um, how is this organization funded? Yes. Yeah, so because we're a nonprofit, um, we're pulling funding from a couple different places. Uh, a lot of our work is grant based. So we're really thankful for recently we had the support of the Youth Harbor, uh, which is a grant funder focused on funding youth oriented climate focused organizations. We're, we've worked with the Edmonton Community Foundation in the past to provide grants for advocacy and programming as well. Um, so there's definitely a large grant base that kind of gets us through sprints and lurches. Uh, we also have a donation stream. Um, so we have on pathsforpeople.org slash donate. Uh, you can donate directly to our organization. We're a nonprofit, so we're not issuing uh, tax receipts, but Uh, That is also a nice kind of steady fund stream that we have because we have some of our really committed members, you know, giving five, ten bucks a month and that really accretes over time. And so those are kind of the two main buckets that we have. Of course, when we're doing events or programming too, um, we try to work with other community organizations and businesses that have like like minded interests so we can pull in like sponsorship funding um, for larger events. Um, But yeah, there's a couple different places. um, And you know, acknowledging that narrow uh, array of sources. We're also just like a very generally like scrappy organization. Like we do not spend a lot of money because it's a lot of volunteer driven work. The board is completely volunteer. We have one staff person who's our administrator, um, but really that's, it's a lot of people just giving a labor of love back to the community and trying to advocate for better. I I lived in both Europe and Asia. And I think, I think I really do like the walkability in both those cities. It's just something about, you know, the street experience. And I also found that I was, you know, more active, like, and I think you're, I I noticed that the active transportation was very, very uh, focused on um, sort of the manifesto when I saw the site. 
maybe if you could dive a little bit more into like the idea of active transportation, does, does that include like, say, if I didn't use my car today and I got on and actually used the bus instead, is does that make me a more active transporter? <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's absolutely, you're thinking of the right ideas. Um, I love active transportation because we all do it. It is like a common denominator to the nth degree. We all have as a part of our day, at least a little bit of a walk or a little bit of a roll, depending on our level of mobility. Um, so yeah, even if you like drove to Costco, you end up like walking across the parking lot and through the store. So th that's why I love it so much that it just ties together so many things. Um, and, you know, from a transportation system planning lens, um, we can acknowledge that like, you know, s some of these modes for some of the journeys that we want to do are actually a lot more efficient because they take up less space. Uh, you know, if you're driving a car versus driving a or riding a bike, uh, you know, you're using up a lot less space as a bike. Uh, and if we can use less space in our transportation system just dedicated to moving cars, we can reprogram that space and create more space oriented towards people. But there are so many different kinds of options. It's not just bikes versus cars. It's walking to transit, like you said. It's using a scooter. It's using a mobility aid. Um, it's so many different things, but it's just all based on getting yourself around basically using your own power which is also so empowering i love that idea yeah i like that a lot too and maybe tell us a little bit about uh how and why did you get involved and then how you became now the chair of this fantastic organization yeah so i always had an interest in this kind of stuff within planning early on i just found the transportation related work really interesting and i think it's very based on my i grew up in leduc which is just south of edmonton uh, and my experience there was like you walked around before you were 16 and you drove after you were 16. Uh, and it was just such a mindset shift moving to the city, not having a car and just really having to rely on walking, biking and transit um, to get around. Uh, you know, I recognized the broader planning principles that are at play when we shift towards those more sustainable modes of transportation and just the experience of it too. Like I think when we go on vacation, we end up walking around a lot or rolling around a lot. Um, and so I think just from that experience and enjoyment lens of like um, being involved in a community, uh, I, I love that aspect of it too. So you mentioned that uh, Paths for People and uh, Paths for People is a scrappy little organization. Idea was a scrappy little organization at one point. I think it was founded by, you know, uh, there was a founding 50 that each contributed, a, you know, 50 bucks or something to, to kind of get it going. And, and look at us now, we, we have a podcast. So there's, there's lots of hope and lots of room for growth, definitely. But um, we, we have some aligned values, obviously. Um, I think when, when you and I talked previously, you, you talked about it's, it's about wanting choice in your communities. For IDEA, we're, we're talking about more housing or non-residential commercial choices in our neighborhoods. For, for you guys, it, it's a little bit more of you know, transportation options and, and choices. But um, are you working exclusively in kind of the public realm and uh, kind of how IDEA's work is a little bit more on the, the private realm side of things? Or... Um, are you kind of going on both sides of the property line? Our focus is definitely on the public realm because there's just so much work to do there in Edmonton. Like I kind of said at the start, like, you know, people got passionate about this stuff because we can be doing so much better and we've seen improvement over the past decade, but there's so much further to go. So 
the focus of our organization is definitely on how can we get better crosswalks across the city? How do we get cycling infrastructure all the way out into the suburbs? Um, like how do we ensure that we can program, uh, open up the opportunities for programming, um, you know, road right of way every once in a while for a community event? Um, it's that kind of focus that we have, but we recognize, you know, there's a lot of planners, there's some engineers on the board, you know, we recognize the interrelated nature of like, you have the public realm, and then there's the private realm, which is where you're going to store your bike, you're also going to walk through some private spaces or roll through some private spaces. Um, and so there's still definitely that focus of it. But there's just so much work to do in the public realm. Uh, and there's also, you know, as we're having this collaboration right now, there's uh, great players working on improving that um, experience within the private sphere, like IDEA, and uh, like a lot of other organizations. For sure. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit. Do you see a connection between kind of like uh, housing and uh, uh, densification or that type of thing and our transportation choices in the public realm? They definitely feed off of one another. Um, I think when you can provide greater housing options uh, that are closer to amenities and that kind of things, it makes more transportation options, more feasible for more people. Um, it's never about getting everybody to do the exact same thing. And that's why like in a city of Edmonton, when we have built so much single detached, when we have oriented so much towards cars, we've really done a disservice to ourselves because we've just tried to provide one kind of product for every single person and made the other kind of products that people might be interested in. And that might be more efficient to allocate, serve, um, you know, source with infrastructure and that kind of thing. Um, we make those choices more difficult when on a societal scale, if we get more people making those decisions, it's actually more sustainable financially and uh, from an environmental lens as well. They definitely feed off of one another. And I think also when you have more housing options and more transportation options, uh, they work off each other. And then they also work towards larger goals like having, you know, a more sustainable city and then also a more equitable city. Because when you have more of those options, you meet more of the needs of more people. So uh, yeah, we're just trying to get more for everybody, basically. Yeah, for sure. And on that kind of note, do you see um, like a, an expansion of the overall system and allowing everybody access kind of equitably to be more important than connecting areas that already see a lot of cyclists or a lot of people? Like um, anecdotally, uh, when my wife and I were looking um, for a new place and we found this one uh, proximity to the bike lane was important to me. So that's, we purchased close to the bike lane, but I'm not sure if that's anything more than an anecdote, but what I'm trying to get at is, is it just make more sense to spread the system out as much as possible or kind of target specific areas in your opinion? Yeah, this was the big, one of the big discussions that came out of the bike implementation strategy that moved through council over the past couple months and sort of culminated in the, budget for the next four years, how were we going to spend money and implement things? Um, and, you know, this is a very lawyerly answer, but it depends. And a planner answer on top of that is like, it depends even more. Um, so I have a, a terrible, I have terrible news that I don't have a response to this question. But, you know, it's, it's a bit of both. Honestly, it's servicing as much as possible, but also trying to pick up those quick wins really what's going to constrain us is like how much money we set aside to implement this. And we saw city council be pretty bold, which means I think we're going to be able to do more for more people. The hundred million that we have dedicated, which to be honest is only half as much as what is required as kind of estimated by the city. That's half the money required to build out the system uh, by 2030, which is in alignment with 
our climate goals and that kind of thing. We're only going to do half as much of that. And so we recognize that that's a compromise because there's lots of different competing priorities, but that's a really good chunk of money to do better for a lot more folks and open up the option at least. So I think we're going to be able to hit some of those quick wins, you know, extend the system around the core, and then also provide some of those longer connections across the city, uh, reaching out to the north side, reaching out to Mill Woods, reaching out to the outside of the Hendy. Me and my husband also don't really want to move because our location is like so good. It's central. It's close to everything. Amenities are close. It's even though, you know, it's not a big house. Like, I think it's still quite nice and comfortable. Um, All right. Let's talk about some challenges that uh, you are currently having. Um, So what are some challenges that the that PFP is trying to address right now? There's some place-specific projects that I think the right people are in the right spot to really make some good things happen with renewal of main streets like White Avenue. Um, That's going to be a big focus for us going forward because that brings together so many factors of like building a good public realm and how that can support the community, how that can support the local economy. But it's going to take a lot of like shifting our perspective on how we do this kind of stuff. It's going to take saying, is White Ave uh, arterial that moves people really fast? Or is it a main street that provides space for mass transit and emergency vehicles to get through really quick, but does not provide the same level of service for vehicles? Um, I think that's going to be a big focus over the next little bit, because if we can get White Ave, we can get a lot of other main streets across the city. We can also acknowledge really briefly that We're already doing that work a little bit across the city. 132 Ave on the north side is like a perfect example of like, wow, that is a huge improvement in providing transportation options, you know, through a huge east-west corridor throughout the city. So I think we're going to focus a lot on those corridor issues uh, because that's what's going to stitch together communities and make especially cycling or other kinds of rolling mobility uh, way more feasible because you can move the distance that is useful for that mode. You're going to be able to travel 15 minutes and not run out of a bike lane or that kind of thing. Um, So we're definitely focused on corridor projects. I'd also say we're always trying to bring like a positive kind of attitude to the conversation. Um, You know, there's so much negativity usually in community engagement, um, but we try to bring a more positive lens and a more like solutions oriented lens uh, because not a lot of other people are doing it. So that can be a positive lens to projects like uh, Vision Zero Street Labs, um, trying to promote that and see that get utilized in communities because uh, it's such a wonderful tool to showcase to neighbors, wait, our transportation system can work a little bit differently. Yeah, and there's always just so much work in just like the place specific in the standards that are set to. Um, so yeah, we're just really passionate about all of that and just trying to find projects that can move those goals forward. I know that 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 there's such a great cause here because I and I also feel really strongly about better pedestrian bicycle networks and all like all of that all of that really great urban planning um, principles. Um, I was wondering, like, how involved do you get with with the decisions? Like, does this, does like when the council is going through these renewals or going through these, um, you know, trying to put trying to execute some of their visions for the city, the city plan and stuff. Do they reach out to you, consult you, or, you know, is there something, or I, I guess, maybe what level or, um, do you get involved with with that? Because 
it's something where I don't think it should be done in silo. It's, it's a very, uh, it has to be a very collaborative environment where you're talking to a, um, quite a bit of like key decision makers to make, to make it work and to make it, yeah, to make it a vibrant city. Mm-hmm. There are so many different scales of projects. So I will kind of approach this answer in tiers. First off, we have about 1500 members across the city. So a lot of them get quite engaged with hyper local projects. Like maybe that's a Vision Zero Street Lab. Maybe that's um, getting a crosswalk added at a certain location. So we try to empower folks to get those small, you know, high impact, low cost projects done around their neighborhood. Um, And then moving up a scale, you know, we really try to promote the opportunity to shape the engagement results for more place specific projects like a neighborhood renewal or like a corridor renewal. We try to um, get people engaged on that so that can help shape the process. And then we, of course, may provide like a specific advocacy stance to the city, um, encouraging them to take a certain option or push forward with a bolder vision. Um, And so that might result in some correspondence. And then there's like the high level strategy work, which I think we're um, pretty well threaded into. I think we get outreached uh, pretty consistently on stuff like the bike plan, city plan when it was being engaged, the district plans, um, you know, the zoning bylaw, we're being reached out to on those things. And so we're trying to collate all the kind of on the ground feelings that people have and translate that into the um, kind of messaging or direction that people want to see for that at that highest level. Um, So yeah, I I think just generally on like working with the city, uh, you know, I think, you know, it's pretty positive to work with them most of the time. Sometimes, you know, we got to remind them, like we got to get them to smarten up every once in a while, but you know, any organization is going to have fumbles. And so I think we're just always trying to approach that a relationship in a positive way, um, trying to um, flag if there's a concern and then be like, here's how we can resolve it. I think that's better for the discourse uh, locally. And that's going to be more productive for like what you want to get out of things at the end of the day, because people are already two steps ahead in how they can uh, respond to your concern when you tell them this is how you can respond to my concern. So, yeah. The you mentioned um, how important that hundred million dollar funding uh, was to you know uh, move forward some of your goals, but um, reading some of the uh, I guess online literature and backlash about that hundred million dollars, you don't I, I don't think about nimbyism as being something that you would have to overcome, but it, it does play a factor, doesn't it? So certainly nimbyism is involved in all these conversations and all these works. Like at the start, I was talking about, you know, oftentimes your NIMBY experience, your NIMBY feelings are going to be your first step into the civic conversation. Um, And so it definitely exists, but we're trying to flip that negativity into positivity. Like obviously someone feels passionate about something. Um, How can we turn that passion into something positive and productive? Uh, A lot of the time it's, You know, they want to retain something about their community. They want to um, keep things looking or feeling the same. Um, So there are ways to do that, uh, that also work towards some of our larger goals. Um, But also, I think we try to bring like an attitude where we're ready to poke fun at ourselves and like realize the problems in our communities and not get dragged down by that, but be like, here's how we can fix it. So, you know, there's that 
part of NIMBYism that doesn't want change, but in responding to saying, oh, we can draw some of that forward, we can draw the really important aspects forward, we can also highlight, hey, there's things that are not working really well right now. Let's improve that while we're trying to keep the parts of our community that we really like. Um, and so that is the response to NIMBYism that just gets you know, brought into all the work that we try to do. I think you do it very well. I follow your um, Instagram page and I find it hilarious. The, you post some funny things. Um, sometimes it's commentary and sometimes it's poking fun at yourself and I, I'm a big fan of it. So listeners, if you don't follow Pastor People on social media, please do. They're, they're, they're a really good follow. And I do agree with you, bringing the positive energy um, in kind of the face of some of this nimbyism is a, is a really good approach. Yeah, if I can just tag on, I think it's really important when you're talking to those folks to not be talking down at them. And so when you're making fun of yourself, I think it's a great kind of like leveling or just like making fun at the experience that we all have. Um, it's a great way to kind of get yourself on the same level and not be talking down to them. So yeah, we got to have more of that, you know, willing to laugh at ourselves uh, in city building. Yeah, it's a good life lesson generally too. Um, on that topic of, you know, being more fun, let's, uh, let, let's switch gears here and talk about some fun things. I want your good and bad examples of local infrastructure in Edmonton. Like, do you walk or bike down a certain path that just drives you insane or that you really enjoy and think we did a good job on? Let's hear some examples. I am so ready to answer this question. That's probably going to sound really loud on the podcast, but get ready, listener. Bad, we'll start bad so we can end positive. Bad infrastructure, Gateway Boulevard and 80th Avenue, the intersection that's right outside like MKT, the McDonald's, like right before you get to White. Um, it is a light that when you're walking across it, it takes forever. It takes forever to change. And for people living in the community that I do, uh, like just in Richie and Strathcona and Queen Alex, it's a really important connection because like that's how I get to the grocery store. More importantly, that's how I get to the liquor store or like to school sometimes. So um, yeah, that is just a light that takes forever. It's a miserable experience. There's no trees. There's no, there's not a lot of space for people. Um, you're just kind of cast out right alongside this highway. And it is a terrible experience for drivers to like, it's always backed up. We're never going to fix that intersection. So you're not going to make it better for driving and better for pedestrians. We should probably focus on making it better for pedestrians or people rolling uh, because we're seeing that occur in this part of the city at a higher rate. So I'd love to see, you know, some expansion of the sidewalk, more frequent turnover of that light so I can get to the grocery store. Uh, maybe I'll need to get to the liquor store less fast because I'll be less stressed out about the intersection itself. So that's, that's bad. And we, we're just doing, this is what, you know, you know, hurts me a little bit inside. Uh, we're just doing renewal on it. Uh, like the gateway's just being ripped up over a couple summers and we're really not improving it that much. So that shows that we still got a little bit to go, but um, you know, it's, we can keep on fighting. We can keep on pushing. Cause if we stop pushing, then it, nothing would happen and it would be bad. Um, and on the note of like fighting and pushing, like my favorite example in the city of like people oriented infrastructure is McKinnon Ravine. I had a summer where I worked at municipal planning services, shout out to municipal planning services. It's on the west side of the city in an industrial area. And I biked out to work every day. And um, McKinnon Ravine was part of that journey. And so it's just a really nice, um, more gentle exit from the river valley, um, from the floor of the river valley up back to the city. And it's a really great east-west connector. And there's a whole kind of swath of trees and kind of a flat 
uh, floor of the ravine um, that you follow as you go up. And the story behind that is that we were going to build a giant freeway system that is partially built within a river valley around the downtown, around Mill Creek. That freeway system was going to thread all the way up McKinnon Ravine and out down Stony Plain Road and out to Jasper and yada, yada, yada. But people in neighborhoods, like it, it's a wonderful uh, kind of a bunch of housewives fighting back against this, like in the sixties, the seventies and the eighties. And they won. And it was like, it was a political decision at the time council kind of flipped back and forth. Um, but it is a great example of like us recognizing, Oh wait, we don't have to build these systems that just operate only for cars uh, because they're not even going to make driving that much better in the long term, And we're going to lose like some of the greatest aspects of our city. Like, you know, if everybody can get on board with safer, more livable streets, everybody can also get on board with like Edmonton's River Valley. Like, I think that's a, that's a common value, a common destination that we all love. And so I love that because it's just so focused on moving people through the space, experiencing nature, um, and is a great example of like a bunch of people saying no to like the technocrats, the planners, the engineers at the time, um, you know, fighting for something that was really valuable for the community. So. Yeah, those are my two examples. I just have to add for uh, your gateway your gateway comment, just because it's not, yeah, pedestrian wise, it sucks. But also as also as a person driving there, I feel like if that whole strip, there's just no sense of arrival into the, our city. It's like you come from the airport and you see Costco <laughs> and then you drive along just this really really flat, um, really flat industrial land. And then, and it's only about when you hit um, to your old Strathcona Mall that you get a sense of the skyline. And then you see how beautiful actually the river valley is and how big and vast it is. So it's very, it's something where I feel like, you know, big cities, they, there's this sense of arrival into it. Cause you see the skyline, you sort of figure out how, um, how the city is divided and then but yeah i gotta say gateway in terms of an experience it's like that sense of arrival is like whoa it's it's long and boring <laughs> yeah 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 it, mordecai rickler has a quote about edmonton if canada was a house edmonton will be the boiler room uh and it's still true today but i think if we can get stuff like gateway boulevard if we can get stuff like stony plain road and like manning drive and stuff if we can improve those entrance points to the city um we will no longer be the boiler room we'll be the family room or something better i don't know library we got lots of post-secondary institutions just something better than the boiler room oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, you guys are working on that for sure. I, I'm curious about the role that some like disruptors play in kind of the the development of active transportation roles so or networks. So we've seen like e-scooters kind of explode over the last couple of years. I'm a big fan of e-scooters. I take I live close to the train and I take I from my house to the train. It takes like 35 seconds on a scooter and I pay three dollars, but uh, I still do it because it's a nice like kind of last mile transit. But how do kind of things like e-scooters or you know, bike sharing or other organizations that are kind of parallel to you um, help with the development of the active transportation network? They are really important for twofold reasons. Uh, the first one is just that experience. You know, your um, scooter to the LRT station is a great way to get more people recognizing like, oh, there's different ways of moving around my community. And when they have that experience, they can kind of be like, oh, like, this is not as good as I thought it would be. <laughs> like this is, we've got some issues. So it's a great way of 
get, bringing more people into the fold and also pushing more people towards that common cause. Uh, and the second part, definitely on the disruptor nomer of these kinds of new technologies is that it's just more pressure for us to build better infrastructure that moves people through our communities. If they're biking, if they're scootering, if they're walking, um, you know, we have this stuff out on our streets, but I think um, we've definitely seen, you know, probably everybody knows of somebody who had like, like a little crash story on a scooter, which is not positive, not what we want, but a lot of that can be tied to not having good enough infrastructure in place. And so that's just, you know, we we got to keep on pushing and hammering on this because it's coming and it's coming faster. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people talk about electric cars and how huge that's going to be. Um, and, you know, that might, that might be pretty big, but I also think as that comes on board, e-bikes and that sort of stuff is going to um, be carried with it and really take over certain areas of our city. I think it's it's definitely something that's going to be segmented by wealth and that kind of thing because there is, you have to spend a certain amount of money for an e-bike. Um, so yeah, that's definitely going to, I think, change more people's attitudes about what our streets need to serve and do for us. Yeah, agreed. The uh, the electric cars, I agree with you 100%. I'm, I'm more curious about the autonomous vehicles. Like all of a sudden, if we're driving in these autonomous vehicles, can our lanes be, be smaller? Do we need as many of them? Can we have more pedestrian dedication? Um, I'm, I'm not going to ask you specifically about that, but I am going to ask you specifically about your opinion on pedestrian scrambles. Oh, I love them. I think it's just such a joyous experience. First, it's so safe. Like the car, you do not have to interact with cars and you can cross the sea of asphalt without having to worry about being hit by a car, which is like not an experience we always get in the city, which is unfortunate, but it's so much fun. And again, like the riding the scooter to the LRT and just having that experience and seeing like, whoa, things can work differently. Pedestrian scrambles are a great opportunity for letting people just see the city a little bit differently and just have a little moment of joy when... Also, it gets a lot quieter too because all the cars are not running by and that sort of thing. It's just a nice moment of calmness along a lot of main streets and having them on White Ave or Jasper Ave, hopefully on more main streets in the future. Um, you know, those are destinations within our city. So having the scramble in those places is going to improve it, the experience of people in those destinations and showcase for people who are from the suburbs or like live out of town, like how our transportation network is going to evolve and how it can be positive, how they can enjoy that experience of like moving through the scramble and just seeing everybody uh, move safely and happily through the space. So what what is the future, uh, do you think, of our active transportation net, uh, network? You know, do you have hopes and dreams, um, you know? And also, you know, what's what do you think is realistic to achieve as well in our city? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely better. I believe that things can continue to get better because we're already on an upward trajectory. I think a lot of what was built in the city was from a planning praxis that didn't really respond to the needs of people, but focused more on moving vehicles through a space, separating land uses, um, 
that was how a lot of our city was built. And now we, I think, have a better approach to planning where it's more people oriented. It's more focused on the experience of walking along a street and not really caring what's behind the facade, but just enjoying the experience of like the front edge of a building uh, and making that a positive, um, fun little time. So I, I, I believe it will get better. And I think a lot of that will be, um, expanding and improving the networks within neighborhoods themselves, uh, because that's what's going to be closest to people's homes. I think, um, you know, everybody hates traffic calming until it's in their own neighborhood uh, and then they really appreciate it. And so I think it's that um, it's projects like those where we can all um, appreciate it close to our own home. We'll just slowly see more of that across the city and then it slowly just gets more normalized. People are benefiting from it closer to home and they're also just, you know, following how that influences our behavior elsewhere across the city, therefore building safer streets overall. Um, and yeah, you know, we have, you know, plans, we have strategies, we have all this work, but it really all comes down to implementation. And I think the major funding that was set aside within this capital budget is going to push us in the right direction. And then it's also just the, the ongoing work of renewal is getting a lot better in the city. Um, and so just when we have to rebuild all the streets in a neighborhood, I think we're doing a lot better job of doing that. And that's where I think the realistic part of the answer comes into play, where we got to do this work anyways. Let's not replace like for like. Let's do something better that serves everybody in the community, all ages and all abilities, ensures everybody gets home safely at the end of the day, uh, regardless of the mode that they choose. Um, let's just make sure we get that work right because we're going to spend the money anyways. So like, let's let's invest it in a proper way. So it's going to get better. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be fun. It's going to be lit. It's going to be vibey. Can't think of any more adjectives at this point. It's it's Friday afternoon. I'm uh, almost running out of steam. I want all those. Yeah, I want all those. <laughs> those are all good adjectives. Yeah. All right. And um, Stephen, uh, we always liked a call to action from our guests. Um, what is your call to action for our listeners out there? I love advocacy that's focused on active transportation because it's literally always happening. Like there is always a project the city is doing where it's like, we're rebuilding sidewalks in this neighborhood or we're redoing this bridge or we're redoing this main street. Um, and so the call to action is when you see those in in the community, if it's nearby your house, if it's nearby, nearby where you work, if it's along your commute, like get engaged and be positive, like share a vision for how we can spend those infrastructure dollars in an effective and um, uplifting way to improve the experience of everybody along the corridor. Because, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, the city does respond to engagement to a certain extent. And so when the message is just so clearly positive and solutions oriented, uh, they are able to do a lot of that. So, um, yeah, get engaged with a project nearby your house because it's always happening. And when you're getting engaged, be positive and solutions oriented. Perfect. Couldn't have said it better myself. Steven, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, you lived up to the hype. Definitely. Yay. Good, 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 good. <laughs> So that was a fantastic episode. Was that the first time you've ever met Stephen? That is the first time I've ever met Stephen. He's really, he definitely, you could tell he's from theater though. He's just so enthusiastic. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Well, so enthusiastic and um, I don't know. It just, he's just, just so you could just tell. He's just very, yeah, he's just very enthusiastic. Yeah. 
Uh, I know you're a film buff, but are you, were you a theater kid as well? No, I never gone to theater. Um, I, this film was just something that kind of kept into that. I kept always referencing back whenever I would design. So it's something that I just keep in my back pocket for inspiration. Cause I just watch a lot of movies, but no, I would say I am more of a film enthusiast, not so much a educated <laughs> film watcher. <laughs> <laughs> or a performer yeah or a performer yeah yeah well no Stephen is uh i the first time i met him and i think i told the story in the episode but he is like he was very impressive the first time i met him i was like wow this he was like some young planning student and i was like my god like this kid had first of all the um confidence to just walk right up to me and start talking to me at this like weird industry student event which not a lot of students do so i was like wow this this kid's going places. And very clearly he is. Um, that was a great episode. He he talked about a few things that I wanted to pull on here. The first is uh, the good and bad examples of um, pedestrian and bicycle infrastructure. I, I find it fascinating. I, I always love talking to pedestrians like Stephen or like yourself. I know you walk everywhere. What did you think of his examples of uh, Gateway and McKinnon Gateway and 80th as being a bad one and McKinnon Ravine as being a good one? Are you familiar with those spaces? Um, I haven't gone to McKinnon too much, but um, I think he, it pro- I, I would believe him it's a good example because anything along the ravine probably is super nice. Um, but I totally agree with Gaywin 80th. Totally bad pedestrian experience there for sure. Um, and But I, yeah, you're right. I do walk everywhere. Like I love my neighborhood. I live in Oliver and it's such, it's got such great, it's got such great pedestrian paths. It's got you know, the right amount of scale in buildings. So you don't feel like you're walking in, you know, large concrete jungles. There's old trees there. And um, there's just also great smaller commercial establishments that are around there. So it does feel very, it does feel like a neighborhood. Yeah, no, it's really cool. Do you ever go to the brewery district? You're in Oliver? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I go there a lot mainly because uh, the grocery store is right there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, what do you think of the pedestrian infrastructure on that, uh, in the brewery district? Actually, I really like it. It's done very well for, um, I guess they call it a big, like these are sort of it in its essence, it is a shopping mall, but it's done very well because it's not like if you've gone to Windermere or South Edmonton common, you know, it's very, it's very, it's very, um, via like, uh, car centric, mm-hmm. like very, very heavy. And, you know, you get, there's a lot of surface for parking and, you know, the sidewalk widths are so tiny, but this one, I love how the sidewalk widths are bigger. Mm-hmm. There's not, you can tell the surface parking lot isn't that big because they actually provided, um, underground parking. So it's actually yeah. super convenient if you were coming from afar to shop there. And of course I really like, I don't know what they're called in planning terms, but they have um, like a little bump that sort of stops the car from going too fast at the side. And it it, 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 it raises where there is the pedestrian crossing. But that's a really good deterrence for uh, yeah. like cars going too fast. Yeah. You have the you have the term surrounded. I think it's just a raised crosswalk. There's no fancy fancy term for it or oh. anything. But yeah. <laughs> you're you're pretty much there. Um, but I, I agree. The uh, 
I think you brought up a really good example of, of South Edmonton Common. Like if you are shopping at, at one store in South Common and you, you see a store across the street, uh, it's, it's way safer to drive or it's easier to drive between those stores rather than park and cross. There's not a lot of crossings. Um, the, the sidewalks that are there, like you said, are at the minimum. So yeah, I, I brought up brewery district and then, cause I knew you'd like it and I'm a big fan of it too. Um, what about some bad, bad examples other than South common? Are there any that like you walk by every single day, um, that drive you insane? Ooh, ah, this is a really good one. Even though I know that, um, even though I know the LRT is going around it or going through it, which is Stony Plain Road. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, that strip from, I think I'm going to say 124th street all the way to, uh, before you hit West block on, mm-hmm. so I'm going to say 136 street. Holy moly. That is not fun to walk on. <laughs> it's, you got a very narrow path. But it's actually a very popular path during the summer, Ryan. Really? Like, I feel I feel like there's a lot of, every time I walk, because uh, I walk quite a bit, or, like, I like walking around there as well um, to go to Columbia Coffee. And um, there's always a lot of bikes that, that try to navigate through this really narrow, like, four foot wide, <laughs> four foot wide path that's, I think that's where like the bridge is, but that one's right. always not fun because yeah, you have the, the car is so close to you and then there's a bunch of bikes that are trying to cross and you're trying to walk. I know you could go down to get the shared path, but that one, that one I say it's not very pedestrian friendly and it's actually quite, it's quite middle of the city. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's busy. I, uh, I have a similar example. So sometimes I walk home, I live in McKern and I, I walk home from the university. So I walk home, um, like right down uh, 114th Street and 114th Street, the sidewalk is is like four feet or five feet or whatever, but it's right, it's a, it's a monowalk. So you have, you know, 114th Street and then I'm walking right next to traffic that's oncoming. Mm-hmm. And on one side, sometimes there's like vegetation that's overgrowing. So I feel like I have to like, almost like weave like onto the very far edge of the sidewalk right next to traffic to get around this vegetation. It's so scary and terrible. So it kind of a similar situation, you know, like a major street, but then a sidewalk that's a monowalk right against it. I, I, I can't stand it. So yeah, those are those are really good bad examples. <laughs> yeah, really good bad examples. Yeah. Yeah, I think also we had a really good top uh, discussion with Stephen about entrances and arrival to the city, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I always, I think we were talking about this even um, right after the episode of how, um, like, I, I was driving to Calgary so much, uh, like during this past year, and I find that every time I'm on Highway Two, and I'm coming back from the city, there's this long stretch of like industrial space and tons of roads and it's not only till you get to um you know old strathcona mall that you arrive and then you feel like you're actually stepping into the beautiful parts of the city which is the river valley the character dis- the, the character buildings of white ave and then you know and then it guides you to really dip down and then you really start seeing the skyline the bridge and how it sort of integrates with the landscape but that eight kilometers there is brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. What, what, what do you think the what do you think the best entrance in terms of aesthetics is into the city, north, south, east, or west? If you had to oh, pick man. it, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I honestly have not drove into the city from any of those directions. Oh no! As much as no I, way! As much 
much as I have from the South. Yeah, yeah. The right answer is none of them. There's not a single one that's attractive. Like the, I think the East might be the worst one. Like you're going past Refinery Row into the city, and you can you can see downtown when you're coming in from the East, like Yellowhead or or like uh, Sherwood Park Freeway or whatever. You can see downtown, so you kind of get a glimpse of it. But you're driving by like the heaviest of industry we got. The South Side, I think you covered. West, I, like it's just roads and concrete yeah. and then the north yeah. I, I don't really know what's what's coming from the north either but i don't know if there's a good one no i don't think so either i actually no i actually have done east never mind but they but it felt like i was driving it felt exactly like the south <laughs> yeah exactly so maybe that's why it just didn't make a difference <laughs> yeah yeah no i agree yeah yeah that one that one's uh yeah the entrances and the arrival i think is something uh we could work on <laughs> I don't know how, but there's got to be ways. <laughs> um, Stephen also mentioned uh, Vision um, Vision Zero Street Labs, which is actually pretty interesting. And um, this one, it's about creating an opportunity to trial temporary traffic safety solutions on your streets. And each street lab, street lab is tailored to the unique needs of the community, combining the expertise and power of the Edmontonians and City of Edmonton staff to creatively address community problems such as speeding, shortcutting, and other unsafe driving behaviors. So that one's actually really cool. Uh, I didn't know about that until I um, looked at it. That definition is definitely from the City of Edmonton website. <laughs> but we <laughs> really get on there because it actually does, as um, you know, a person living in your neighborhood, you could definitely have an input on what's happening in your city and how, or in your neighborhood and how you can actually create more interesting streets. No, it's cool. I, I, I'm sure you don't live in a neighborhood that needs any of this. You have, you have all the best uh, pedestrian and bicycle infrastructure already where you are, but I live in a neighborhood where there is a little bit of shortcutting. So we've had some discussions at the community level about implementing some of this. And I know they, they bring in kind of like a pilot program where they would bring in some temporary bollards or uh, barricades that would make drivers have to chicane around. And I think eventually they do become uh, permanent infrastructure if they get lumped in, but I I'm not exactly sure how that works. Um, but it is, I'm glad that you shouted it out because it is a great little tool that communities can use. Um, so check it out on the city of Edmonton's website and, and kind of, you know, start that discussion within your community. If you're, if you're experiencing some motor vehicle accidents or something. So um, you made it through your first episode. How do you feel? It was good. I actually really enjoyed um, asking and learning about what Stephen was doing and hmm. learning about this organization that I wasn't aware of until now. So, but uh, <laughs> I think I made it okay. I think I did okay, Ryan. Yeah. I thought you killed it. I thought you killed it. I'm very excited for uh, for the future of this podcast with you at the helm here with me. So, yeah. Um, last thing we always do is we got to shout out a listener. And in this uh, episode, I got to shout out Mo. He's a realtor. Um, I met him at a lot of idea events, but last time he mentioned he's not a podcast listener, but now he's into the In Development podcast because it makes his drives a little bit uh, more um, fun when he's driving around showing homes and stuff. So Mo, thank you for listening. And Olivia, thank you for uh, for making it through this episode with me. Oh, awesome. I had so much fun though. Thank you, Mo, for listening. <laughs> See you later. See you.